Hello, American Shoreline Podcast Network listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Big Tourism, a show focused on sharing destination management trends, interesting case studies, and the thought leaders that are pushing the tourism industry forward in a sustainable and creative way. I am your host, Erica Sears, happy to be back behind my microphone for another chance to learn more about tourism destination management. Today, we're going to reimagine the future of tourism destination management with an emerging leader based out of Chile. Cuidadores de Destinos works towards destination management based on democracy with local identity that integrates the voice of nature. They play, dream, and imagine a wonderful future in design indicators by and for the community. They strengthen the love for the territory, increase the feeling of tofofilia, They form Cuidadores de Destinos, and we will talk today about translating that name. They propose to reimagine the management of our destinations with an ethical perspective, a story shared and respected by the communities, appealing to sustainability and, above all, with responsibility in the face of the climate crisis. Their mission focuses on dialogue and reflection, providing residents and governments with new tools with which to dream of the new future of the territories with all of its parties involved. So here to talk to us today um, about this incredible organization is Marco Lucero. He's the co-founder of Cuidadores de Destinos. He's a systems thinker in the travel industry. A permaculture designer, he has brought principles and ethics from permaculture to DMOs. He has worked as a project manager in the Chilean Association of Travel Agents and Tour Operators. He was the manager of the luxury accommodation Kikata Lodge in Nitmalik National Park, an iconic territory for Australia, as the first territory ceded back to the Aboriginal people, recognizing the Jawan people as the traditional owners of the Catherine region. Recently, he has also co-founded Turismo de Clara, bringing the global south to the climate emergency discussion. Lastly, he has also studied business and administration, ecotourism management, and environmental education, constantly intertwining disciplines with arts, philosophy, and systems theories. So an incredible guy. This is the guy to have when you're talking about destination management. And welcome to the show, Marco. Oh, thank you, Erika. So nice to be here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very... Um, um, happy that I got to meet you as well uh, during this time. So very, very happy that we have time now to to have this conversation. Yeah. And so, you know, the first thing I thought we should chat about is the name of your organization, Cuidadores de Destinos. And it's kind of funny because I've only ever said it in Spanish and I've never thought about it in English. Like, you know, like I've, I've talked to you so many times. I've talked about you so many times. And so when I was preparing for this interview, I started looking at the website in English just to make sure I was using the right terms. And um, there is a number of ways it can be translated. So I was thinking of cuidadores as like the keepers, the caretakers, um, but I can also see it being like the destination stewards. Um, so yeah, what, what should we call it in English? Yeah, good question. I, I've been yeah working on that as well. Um, <laughs> I, I think um, I think care mm-hmm. and and stewardship uh, probably both words are correct to to what we do, and um, and probably we do we do somehow both. So we take care and, and we help 
uh, residents to take care of uh, of the habits or the territory where they live. And we also somehow are stewards and and we help as well to to create uh, uh, stewards for 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 destinations. So yeah, I'll say both are correct. You can call us yeah destination uh, stewards or, or destination take. The other thing I I didn't realize. I mean, I did, but I didn't think about it. Was destinos can also I was thinking destinos destination, but I think it can also be translated as destiny, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Interesting, yeah, that's interesting part about our name in Spanish as well. Yeah, so, so it is destiny. Destiny and destination are, are the same word. So yeah, it's a bit of magic there because we actually, a lot of our work is uh, about to reimagine the future. Uh, so as well, reimagine where we're going, uh, our destiny somehow. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was, I was like, wow, that is so perfect. Like, this word makes more sense in Spanish than it does in English, at least for destination management professionals like us, because this is what we're about, like the destiny of our people and our natural resources and our places. So I saw that. And then, Marco, to add one more onto it. So I was on Google and I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure that destiny can, or that destino can be translated into destiny. And then below on Google, sometimes it asks, like it says, people also ask and it has suggestions. And the next one said, what is Lucero? Like your last name. And it oh, said, yeah. Br- bright star. I oh, was yeah. like, stop it. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I, <laughs> I'm going to have the bright star of destination <laughs> management on my show. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my surname. So the first star that you see on the sky uh, after the sunset. Yeah. Well, this is a perfect way to start a conversation. So to our listeners, we have, this is so classic, Marco, like there's a destination management side, but it's also very poetic and interesting and thoughtful. So um, we will let our our listeners sort of wrestle with these different translations, but it really sets the scene well for our conversation today. So I just want to one more thing about our name, which is not singular, it's plural. So when we talk about future, we actually don't talk about future or a single future or a single destiny, but we talk about the possibility of different futures or the possibility of different destinies or destinations. So that also is part of our work uh, to somehow um, make the possibilities um, bigger and so when we talk about future, we have one single future to look for. But when we talk about futures and destinies or destinations, um, the possibility and, and, and yeah, the gap of possibilities is, is bigger in your mind. And collaboratively, uh, we start dreaming bigger and, and thinking more wild. I love it. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. I think that is an awesome additional point. It reminds me like in English, we have this phrase, there is no I, like the letter I in the word team, like meaning you can't do anything alone. And so I can totally see you guys being like, it's cuidadores, not cuidador. We all have to do this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, great. So let's just, let's jump right in. And, you know, could you explain, you know, what led you to co-create Cuidadores de Destinos, the caretakers of destinations. 
So I came back from Nitsmiluk National Park in Andrawan country, this beautiful play in the north of Australia. And if you haven't been there and somehow you have the opportunity to go to Australia, I highly recommend to go there because it's a very interesting place in the world. It's uh, the first territory ceded back to Aboriginal people. Uh, so it's actually a national park owned by Aboriginal people. Uh, so yeah, beautiful experience there. So I came back from there because I wanted to to be in my country for a little bit because I, I've been almost four years uh, away. And I came back at the end of 2019 and I wanted to create a business. And I was thinking that I would love to to start uh, designing sustainable experiences for visitors. Uh, and then probably a week or two after I arrived, uh, we had a social uprising in Chile uh, because of many reasons. One of them, uh, big uh, inequalities in the country. Uh, so the whole country is, uh, started to be very messy, but at the same time, uh, a lot of discussions in public discussions. It was very interesting to be here at that time. And so my whole my whole mentality and idea had to change very rapidly. Uh, the tourism industry got very affected by, by the social uprising. We were in the news all over the world. We protest, so no one really wanted to come. So that was a, a big impact on, on our industry. Um, and then after that, because that was in October 2019, uh, a few months later, we were hit with COVID. Um, and at that time, when that happened, I created uh, a group. I invited a big group of people, friends, colleagues from the tourism industry. Because I worked here before in the um, Chilean uh, Association of Tour Operators and Travel Agency, I, I got to know a lot of people in the industry. Our industry is very small. We're a small country. Uh, so I invited many people to start chatting about our industry, uh, the history of our industry in our country and the future of it as well. Uh, what could we learn from past and how can we move forward to the future? So in those conversations, uh, it was very clear that we needed to, to uh, place more effort and thought on our destination management um, methodology processes and, and I, I gathered with a few friends and we co-founded Cuidadores de Destinos and we've been working since then. So now almost two years. Wow. That is one of my favorite tourism stories. I could hear it. I could hear it over and over. Um, I'm curious, you know, when you were having these conversations, what did that look like? Were those like meetings like a town hall meeting were you meeting up with friends in their homes was this over zoom like what did those conversations look like yeah so the, um so before the pandemic hit it uh we were gathering uh, in person we had a few meetings in person with it was very very interesting because a lot of people from uh different parts of the industry whether so we had restaurants and accommodation and tour operators and travel agents and have very, very interesting discussions around what was going on in the country, around inequality, around 
the effects and the impacts of tourism in different regions of the country. So how, how we have um, been talking about tourism as, you know, this amazing industry and, and um, I don't know how to say in English, but we say like the industry without chimneys. So, like we, we, we weren't polluting, uh, we were amazing as an industry. Uh, at the same time, we were knowing, you know, that we um, emit 8% of uh, greenhouse global emissions. So there was a discourse there, uh, there was a story uh, that was wrong and we needed to start changing and somehow not telling the truth, not telling the truth, but somehow to, to be more clear in, in our story and to be more honest in our story. Uh, so that was going on just before the pandemic hit it. So that was in person and very interesting. And then we got the pandemic and everything moved into Zoom. And and at the beginning, I I was somehow um, trying to, to explain concepts. So I think we have three or four uh, meetings where I was introducing um, holistic decision um, 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 making process. I was teaching about holistic decision making. I was teaching about system thinking in in tourism. I was bring because I studied permaculture, that, and that's something that I mm-hmm. always try to 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 tell everyone um, how it, how it changed my mind because you actually start thinking in systems and how thinking in system is such a big has such a big impact impact on you and the way you perceive the world and you uh, start um, talking about relationships instead of elements and you start uh, um, putting responsibility in the structure of the systems instead of elements. So I was trying to give all this knowledge because <laughs> I, I knew it, it, it had some value for this nature management. And so the, the first month, I think I, I was somehow giving classes and then getting feedback from from the people and after a month or two we uh, decided to create this company wow and um you know a lot of the people i think on this podcast network a lot of our listeners are maybe not necessarily tourism professionals like you and i but because they work in coastal united states they are definitely impacted by tourism um so i'm curious in these conversations or you know as you have grown over the past two years do you have government officials and you know coastal management scientists also joining in these conversations now? Um, so we are actually right now working with the, one of the most important destinations in Chile, which, which is Litoral de los Poetas, and now it's changing the name to Rutas Litoral, so coastal roads, routes, um, which is about an hour and a half from Santiago, so it's um, where all people from the capital city in Chile go on vacation, most of them. Uh, and yeah, it's been very, very interesting. Um, we started this work a, a few months ago, and now we have a few months ahead working with them. Um, and and it's, it's been very interesting because the destination itself is very different. So we've got from... Um, from this place, which is probably has no residence at all. So all of the houses are uh, second residency. And then we've got this, um, uh, this very, very saturated destinations where residents and, and tourists don't get along very well. 
So somehow we've, we've got a, a very interesting destination we, we, where we have everything happening at one big destination, yeah. Well, maybe sometimes it's like not helpful, but it's interesting when we're thinking of, you know, systems thinking when we have a ton of issues going on at the same time, you know, they're all within that system. They're all related. Um, so sometimes I feel like when it's messy, then it's a little bit easier to work with than saying, okay, everything's perfect except for traffic. Let's fix traffic. Um, so, yeah. So as far as destinations that you're partnering with, you're just starting to partner with this coastal destination in Chile. Um, what other what other destinations have you worked with? Is it all happening in Chile? Do you work outside of the country? Yeah, so we're planning to work in Argentina now, but uh, for now we've been uh, focusing on Chile. So we've been working with the Lake District in the south of Chile, uh, now with the coastal uh, destination. Uh, and I think in two more weeks we're going to the north, so desert destination, a place called Mejillones. Um, so yeah, d- different, different. Well, and Chile is so long and different as well. So we've got from the Atacama Desert to Antarctica, uh, going through Easter Island and Torres del Paine. Um, so yeah, landscape-wise and culturally as well. Uh, we we are a very diverse country, and we and even in in places very very close to each other. For example, in this coastal destination, we've been doing a work uh, with them and they are, so it's, it's a municipality that are next to each other, but they want very different things from tourism. So one of them is very focused on taking care of nature. So residents and companies there want to use tourism as a tool to take care of nature and just next to them uh, residents and and companies they want to use tourism as a tool to, to put in value art culture their museums um, all all the poets and artists that are living in there uh, so um, even though they're very very close next to each other uh, tourism uh, want to be used uh, very differently uh, we're working on um, towards that, so to create plans that allow that to happen. It's really interesting, you know. I, you know, obviously I work on the Oregon coast. I talk about it quite a bit, um, and I feel like when I present to another destination that's not in Oregon, I'm always proudly like, "We have 363 miles of coastline. It's public." And I went and presented to your to a, um, a group of your colleagues, you know, via Zoom. I remember being like, wait, I can't brag about that because the coastline of Chile <laughs> is so much longer. But I do see some similarities, you know, just like what you're saying with, we have these, you know, municipalities right next to each other, but maybe they have different visions, which makes sense. We have the same thing here on the coast. We have a city or a town every maybe 30 minutes that you drive down our coastal route. Um, and they all have very different identities. And I think because of that, sometimes they don't necessarily work together naturally. And that's sort of our role as a regional entity is to find some of those similarities because the visitor probably is driving to each of those destinations. They don't know what city they're in. Um, so it's kind of interesting when you have that along a coastline and each little city doing its own thing. But there sh- could be some ability to you know share or um, be collaborative. So that's that that's very interesting, though. That uh, I don't know if you do this, but 
if you could at least um, um, yeah, do workshops to know what's the purpose of the tourism systems in every destination. I think that's relevant and that's something that we don't do enough. We should start doing more and more to ask residents and to, uh, to ask companies to agree on a purpose for tourism. Um, and that's always difficult to see. Um, but if, if we at, at some point agree between residents and companies uh, to a purpose for the system of tourism, uh, think things get a lot, a lot easier and you probably start collaborating more as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, so just one kind of last question about, as we're just, I'm trying to set the scene for our listeners of what, what you do and what this organization does is I'm curious what a day at the office looks like for you. So you're working all over this country and you're working with different communities. So what does a normal day look like for you? Are you traveling a lot? Are you on zoom a lot? Um, so we try to minimize our trips because of, um, um, climate emergency issues and and because the country is very long so if you want to go to the north like now you you have to take a plane and we want to minimize our emissions and so we do spend a lot of time in zoom uh now because we work in the coastal destination is nearby santiago an hour and a half so we actually drive there um but uh, I'll say it changed my entire life and how I was working before. You know, I was working in an office um, five, five or six days a week when I was in the National Park. Uh, and before that, I was working in, in Chile in an office as well uh, from nine to six. And, and I think now I'm so happy <laughs> because I, <laughs> I can manage my own time and... and uh, go outside and and sometimes i am you know i'm a bit stressed so i go for a hike in 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 a hill or a little mountain around santiago and i think it it, i'm I'm very happy working right now and and i have a great team as well um we we have also asked ourselves what what does it mean to create a company what the what does a company means and and how we collaborate and how we make decisions and all that is, it's been very interesting. Um, our, our company somehow is, is an experiment and to, to do things differently. And, and we are constantly reminded of that. And, and yeah, I'm very proud of what we do and, and how, how we, how we doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it really shows too. And we'll start jumping into it. Um, when you say we're, we're willing to try out new things and look at things differently as a team, right? Maybe even just your operations, like, should we drive? Should we not drive? Um, I think it really shows in like the, the types of projects that your organization is working on. And one of those is, is how we met was through, um, tourism declares a climate emergency And I've talked about this on my show a couple of times, but um, just a brief recap of that. Tourism Declares a Climate Emergency is this international coalition of tourism entities. So it could be destination management organizations like mine, um, tour operators, lodging, specific businesses, um, travel writers, getting together and saying, hey, we are contributing to the climate emergency and we are being impacted by the climate emergency. So let's start 
really aligning our efforts and understanding how as an industry, we can reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so that is how Marco and I met through, I guess, I guess one of those probably monthly meetings or um, some kind of connection. So what I wanted to chat with you about is Turismo de Clara. Um, so kind of the, the Spanish speaking version of that, if you want to describe what that is and what your involvement is in it. Yeah. So we, uh, we were born somehow uh, a year after Tourism Declares. Uh, as a company, we, well, Tourism Declares uh, started in January 2020. So just before the pandemic hit the entire world. And we declare as a company, I think, in the middle of that year. And as, as soon as I, as we declare, I talked to Jeremy Smith, so the co-founder of Tourism Declare. And I talked to him and, and we chat about how could we uh, bring that campaign and, and that community into Spanish-speaking world, um, always with the intention that uh, the climate emergency is already here. It's just not equally distributed. So... So it's not in 2030 or it's not in 2050. It's actually already here in many parts of the world. Some of that part of the world is in Latin America and the global south. So um, given that, I, I talked to Jeremy say that we could start sharing stories from the global south. And I uh, started talking with a few friends. So we, we talked to Travindi. Uh, we talked to uh, Travolution, a uh, company in Chile. We talked to Comu Travel, a company in Mexico. And we decided to, to co-found Turismo de Clara with the intention to, to create community in the Spanish-speaking world. Uh, and we have evolved uh, just like Tourism Declares also has been doing for the last two years. And, and we're working to, to bring some great news events and to create community for this 2022. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's so important. And I feel like, and you touched on this, that it's, it's more than providing a space for people to talk about these subjects in their first language of Spanish, but also the solutions and the ideas that your group is coming up with because you're in the global South might be unique to what the global North is coming up with. And I think it's important to recognize too that a lot of countries in the global north, like the United States, where I am from, um, are really the big contributors of our climate issue. And there's a lot of global south countries that are being impacted by it. Um, have you? I think you have sat in on meetings for both, obviously, Turismo Declara and Tourism Declares. Um, do you see a lot of similar conversations happening in both of those groups, or does it feel very different to you? Um. I think because at the beginning we got big companies declaring uh, in Turismo de Clara, uh, big companies that work mostly with uh, the Global North as well. Um, conversations were very similar, but now because we we've been doing this for for a year, a little bit more than a year now, we have uh, created the conditions for different stories to appear and those stories are very, very different. So we, um, because we are different companies that have co-founded this, um, 
a lot of these companies work in the territory, so they move around. So we've been collecting stories that we are hoping to release uh, in the next few months. Uh, and those stories are different. Those stories of people from indigenous communities uh, that are actually been living with the climate emergency for a long time. So they rely on the forest and their surrounding. They're very connected to the uh, to the natural environment around them, and they've been how affected the natural environment has been for the last years, and and they've been creating solutions to adapt to that. So uh, probably very different stories are coming up for the next months. Uh, but yeah, at the beginning, because we were working with big companies, uh, stories were very similar. Interesting. Yeah, well, I look forward to seeing some of those stories and, and those solutions to coming from the global south um, and kind of comparing them to the global north, you know, seeing how things look unique because solutions should be unique. And like we said at the beginning of this conversation, there are multiple um, solutions, there's multiple destinies or destinations and solutions. So I think it's great to have a variety of different things going on. There is no single way for tourism and climate action to go hand in hand. Um, I'm going to jump over. So I, everyone knows I love LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about LinkedIn in every episode, but it's been such a great tool for connecting with other tourism professionals. Um, I kind of live in the middle of nowhere. So all the houses around me are vacation rentals as well. So I'm not just meeting new tourism people every day. That being said, I was on LinkedIn and I saw that Milena Nikolava, um, with Behavior Smart was having a webinar called First Mile Net Zero and Sustainability for Travel Destinations and Businesses Focusing on Behavior Change Instead of Daunting Investment Heavy Transformation. And I think that you attended that webinar as well. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And so I'm curious, um, what were some of your key takeaways about changing, focusing on behavior change instead of these investment heavy transformations? I mean, it's so interesting. I've been reading a lot about uh, behavioral economics um, f- yeah, for the last months, and then I found this, and, and I'm, I'm, I really want to talk more with Nico. What's, what's her name, Nikolova? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very, it's very, very interesting. One of the, well, I'll say, um, I have two feelings. <laughs> <laughs> One of them, um, yeah, it's a bit scary because, um, you know, we working with humans to kind of like, um, I don't know how to to say this, but to push them to do what we want, what them yeah. do, you know, <laughs> this is yes. somehow behavioral economics. So it's a bit, you know, spooky, a bit scary, like, mm, okay, yep. Yeah. But, you know, it's for a good intention and, and, and. I completely understand. So that's, that's the, you know, I'm a bit afraid of this. Um, But at the same time, I'm very happy that someone is um, studying deep into this and in applying into tourism. I think, uh, for example, um, when I was studying ecotourism, uh, we were reading uh, different statistics of um, travelers, how, and the intention, their intention to to travel sustainable, in a, in a more sustainable way. So I think in in my first classes I was um, listening to statistics that said fifty percent of travelers would prefer a sustainable trip instead of a non sustainable trip. 
And then over the years, you know, this percentage that were, was increasing, I think Virtuoso launched a new statistics a few months ago saying that, I don't know, 90% on 85, I can't remember, but very high uh, uh, percentage of travelers are saying that they, they would prefer sustainable options when, when traveling. But then it comes behavioral economics saying that, yeah, but, you know, what we say and what we do are actually very, very different things. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I said, yeah, of course, especially when we're traveling, because when we're traveling, we try to, you know, lose our minds and do these things that we actually wouldn't do in a normal time. Um, so so, so I, I was very, very interesting on that, that, that um, what we say and what we do are two very different things. And we should start doing something that I always think as well, that we should start doing the sustainable option. Um, as the very, default. Yeah, by yeah. default. And also very, very attractive and very sexy somehow. Because <laughs> I always, I don't know, in the menus, in restaurants, sometimes you, you've got, you know, the vegetarian option is so like lettuce and tomato and sometimes they put like chicken or fish in this vegetarian option all always like very boring and not very interesting but uh, but i uh, i i think that you know sustainable should should be the option by default and should be very attractive and we should you know incentivize um travelers to pick that option and yeah i love that webinar yeah, I thought that webinar was incredible too. I mean, so anybody listening, um, her name is Milena Nikolava and her organization is called Behavior Smart. And I found out about her. I was at a conference recently and our team, we hire, um, we have a climate scientist that's working with us right now. We have a value chain coordinator working with us. Like we have what I think are kind of unusual jobs for a destination management organization. And I've always said for years, I'm like, if I could hire someone for our team, I would hire a psychologist because first of all, I probably need one. And because <laughs> we're always trying to get into like, like the, like the mind of visitors. And I think anybody that works in tourism or marketing or works with humans totally understands this. Like you put up a sign, but people don't read it because the color is brown and it should be blue. Or we try to talk about stewardship messaging. And if you say, don't do something, people get mad and they do it. But if it's cute or funny, they will, you know, so I'm I'm always like, we need someone that can get into the psychology of, of visitors. And, um, one of my friends was like, you know, that exists, right? I was like, no. And she was like, yes, you have to check out Melina. And then it came up again and then this webinar happened. And so just what you were saying was also just this huge takeaway that um, a lot of times, you know, environmental organizations, tourism organizations, traditionally we provide information. We say, hey, visitor, this is the responsible thing to do. This is why it's responsible. And then we assume that because the statistics show 50%, 80% of visitors want responsible trip, that they will say, hey, thanks for the information. I'm going to do the right thing. And what this organization is proving is that you have to just make the sustainable option, the default, make it the easiest thing to do. Because when we place decisions on the shoulders of visitors, it becomes tiring and they don't want to deal with it because they just want to relax. Um, So like I thought a good example was, you know, if you have um, a rental car company, 
making the electric vehicles the first cars that show up as options instead of like this extra special thing. Like make it look like that is the thing to do in your destination. Um, so I thought that was interesting and she was putting that towards sort of this tourism and climate action. She also mentioned like the information that you are providing has to be timely, effective as well. Or, or you know, if, if you provide information at the right time, you, you will get the right outcome. But if, if you are providing information at a time that probably when, when not taking the decision, when the traveling, the traveler is not taking the decision, that also won't be effective. So there are many interesting things from behavioral economics and, and the work that she does. Yeah, yeah, I definitely recommend any tourism professional. Now I'm super interested in behavioral economics. I bought her book, just totally geeking out. <laughs> I love this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, last question for you sort of about tourism and climate action in general is, I think a lot of people think about this as scary or overwhelming. Um, and I think we talk about that a lot in meetings, but I kind of wanted to focus on you know, what do you find inspiring or promising about tourism and climate action? Uh, first of all, I think what what has happened for the last two years, thanks to Jeremy Smith and Tourism Declares and then the Glasgow Declaration, is that we have come together as an industry. Uh, more and more professionals from different parts of the world are coming together to discuss, to learn, to collaborate. And I'll, I'll say that that's by itself very very promising um to to have uh the uh the unwto um getting on board with this and, and launching the glasgow declaration i think that that was extremely promising and and because of this collaboration that's going on all over the world um i think amazing solutions will come in the future. Um, you know, as, as we were talking just now, um, uh, Milena doing this work with behavioral economics applying to tourism and, and what can learn um, from, you know, a system thinker in, in, in Australia or, or an indigenous community and, and in, in Latin America. I think we are, because of this big, network uh, and this collaboration we are joining the dots to create something amazing uh, and um, i think the future is very promising from the for the industry yeah yeah i agree i i've really been trying to focus on that question um because i think it's a lot easier to talk about some of the challenges because we need to solve those but i think that there's a lot of inspiring and, and interesting creative solutions happening within the tourism industry um and just like you mentioned alignment you know connecting internationally with other destinations has been really fun and interesting um and i think that a lot of us that are in this work i know for you and myself like we truly just want to make the world a better place. And I think we've all been transformed at one time or another by traveling, um, by being in a different destination. And so I feel like, yeah, connecting these dots so that not only are you transforming yourself and making the world a better place, but you're doing it in a responsible way. So to me, it just makes sense. Like it just totally makes sense for us to be working on this. Actually that what got me to work into tourism. Um, so I, I was in Australia learning about sustainable systems and sustainable design. And, and I was thinking, okay, how can I, 
how can I take care of nature and take care of people in a way that allows me, you know, to live in this society, in this Western world? And I thought, well, tourism is the tool. Tourism is one of the tools to do this, to take care of nature, um, to, to take care of people uh, at the same time that I'm earning, you know, my living. So, um, yeah, I, I started working on tourism because I see tourism as a tool. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, well, I wanted to jump back um, and, and talk a little bit about some of your interesting projects. I just, again, feel like the way that Cuidadores de Destinos does work is is unique. Um, and <laughs> actually, you know, I think you and I have talked enough that you've like been like, hey, this is what we're working on. And then I was looking at your website and I was like, wow, did I dream that? Or <laughs> is this a real project? Um, and one of those that comes to mind is Memories of the Future. Um, unless I dreamt that, uh, <laughs> do you want to describe what that was? So here we, we've been inspired by Rob Hopkins. Uh, Rob Hopkins, uh, he somehow was the co-founder of the transition movement. And he, a few years ago, launched uh, a book called From What Is to What If. Uh, and, and he talks about the power of imagination. Um, so we've been so- somehow reading and, and learning a lot about the power that imagination has in our world and how we've been somehow lacking of, of that uh, power for, for a few decades now. Uh, so we want to embrace imagination. And what we do is we work with residents and companies and try to bring us much representation as possible of a destination. Uh, and we start dreaming about the future. So we we get into a uh, time machine. We go to the past and then we travel to the future. And we imagine something very, very weird and strange, which is a wonderful future. No, an apocalyptic one, but a wonderful, extremely, extremely wonderful future. Uh, so we ask everyone to close their eyes and to imagine uh, 2030 as if everything was done right from now on. And we will in- we invite people to have a walk around their their houses, to go f- uh, shopping and to describe what they are seeing, what they are smelling, uh, what's the music. Uh, and then when we when we have that place and we have created that place in our imagination, I think it's easier to make it happen. And we base our plans, our destination plans into that dream. So that's what we do. Wow. I'm curious. Um, I've been trying to feel this out to understand if this is an American thing or a small town rural thing. But here where I live, a small um, kind of fishing town, historically a fishing town called Pacific City, Oregon, um, a lot of times people love hopping in the time machine and going back. And they love spending time in the 80s and the 70s. And they romanticize it. You know, they say everything was perfect back then. And, and sometimes they go even further back. And 
and I, and I like joining them on that trip, but sometimes I am like, okay, you know, my grandpa was here during that time and economically wasn't doing that good, you know, couldn't pay for shoes. Um, so not, not everything was perfect back then, but these same people, I never see them take the time machine to the future. Um, and so I think that's really interesting that you have people go back and then go into the future. And have you found that when people take the time machine to the future, that it sounds exactly like the past or does it seem radically different? Um, I think it's a mix of the good things from the past and, and what they would like to see in the future. So I'll say both. Is it this workshop as well that you have invited kids to be a part of this? Um, yeah, so we invite kids as well, but we, we also have a specific uh, um, workshop for kids um, where somehow they realize how important it is to have uh, destination management and how um, the systems tend to collapse if you don't have a good management and, and how the tourism systems tend to be sustainable and resilient when we agree and few limits. We talk about and uh, limits and how limits are wonderful and beautiful and they help us to thrive and to have happy people and happy nature. So we, we try to talk about limits as a good thing. And, and yeah, it's been wonderful working with kids and we've learned so, so much from them. Wow. And what, what age group is that usually? Is that little, like five-year-olds or more like 16 yeah, most, more like teenagers. Um, now, be, because we've been working with um, schools that have tourism, so they, I think, at uh, the last two years of school, they can, in, in some places, especially in um, tourism destinations, uh, schools some, sometimes have tourism the last two years. So we, we've been working with them. Yeah, that's interesting. I th- it's kind of refreshing to hear that, you know, here there are very little schools in our entire region that want to talk about tourism. You know, they don't have tourism programs. And a big part of that is I think that people see tourism as just like restaurants, hotels, you know, cruise ships or something. And they think that these are low end um, kind of jobs. So they're like, we don't want our kids talking about it, but it's interesting that you're presenting this holistic, you know, destination management conversation to these to these youth because you know we want them to be part of this too part of the solution someday yeah definitely and i think happens the same thing here uh even for them for their students they what what they see for their future is also like working in restaurants or hotels but then when we bring this nature management and they see how important it is they they yeah they they got very interesting in working and knowing more about it and to probably have a career around that. Well, good. I, I'm i very impressed. Um, I'll have to follow up with you on some of that because I, I, I feel so passionate about this work too. And especially I think for rural kids, you know, where they're maybe just connected to nature in a way that kids in urban areas aren't, um, but don't really understand how they could have a career in that. Um, I think that destination management can, can really be an interesting career for so many kids in our, in our small community. Um, so and I wanted to wrap up our conversation by talking about KPIs and destination management and how do we measure success? And this is a topic that I always kind of roll my eyes at a little bit because 
here, you know, people want you to say, if you give me X amount of money, I will deliver to you these four measurements, and then you can pat me on the back and I can prove that I'm good at my job. <laughs> and I get, I get it. Like you can't just, you need to prove that you're doing work. Um, but I know that you have an interesting take on KPIs. So the first question is in traditionally, um, maybe there's somebody here listening that's not familiar with tourism. What is a traditional KPI for tourism agencies? Like when you worked in Australia, when you worked in, you know, in, Ch- in Chile before, what were some just normal KPIs for tourism? So I think first of all is number of visitors. I think we all, that's the, probably the first thing we talk. Uh, when the pandemic hit, we were saying, you know, the numbers of visitors have dropped to zero or something. And then numbers of visitors have been increasingly going up, and but just 10% compared to pre-pandemic period. I think number of visitors is one of them. Then travel traveler spending, so how much money are they spending in the trips, uh, time that they're staying in the destination, so how long have they stayed with us. Uh, probably those are the three biggest ones. And, and, and as, I, as many people say, like, we care, or, or we, we change what we measure and we care about what we measure. And I think we've been too long caring and, and trying to work on those three issues. So number of visitors, spending and time of stay. And we, we have been leaving aside many, many important elements of the systems. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to think about it. What we measure is what we care about. Um, and a lot of times it's what our funders care about too. Um, so then there's like the next level of KPIs, not quite at the Marco level yet, but there's sustainable tourism organizations. Um, the ones that have said, hey, we want to focus on on sustainable tourism. Um, I'm curious if you think there are different KPIs that you're seeing come out from these types of organizations. Mm, not really. I mean, probably just emissions is the biggest one and a very important one. And I'm very glad. For example, Google now has, you know, you can check how, how many emissions will your flight have if you go to Google Flights. Um, I think emissions is the biggest one and it's a, a very important one now in, in companies that are working sustainably. Yeah, and one of the hardest to measure. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> But I think it's good though, like you're saying, you know, we are trying to reduce these emissions and because we're trying to measure it and figure it out, it is what we care about. Um, so maybe we're seeing more organizations that are doing Zoom rather than than driving. I think I've seen other sustainable tourism organizations that are measuring things like food trails, you know, the amount of businesses they have that have, you know, 70% of their food is from a local local producer or farmer or fisher. And I think that's a cool measurement too, to say, you know, how much of our food is actually from our region. Um but let's dream even bigger because I know you have some wild ideas for KPIs in the future. Can you share some of your dream KPIs? Yeah, so these KPIs are, are not mine. We, we've been uh, dreaming dreaming very yeah, wild with um, uh, residents and companies in different destinations around Chile. And when we do that, uh, so we start by um, actually dreaming about the future of tourism for that, that destination. 
And then when we dream about that future, we ask, okay, so how we measure that we are going that path, going walking that pathway to to get there. Uh, so then number of visitors and and spending and time of uh, um, stayed um, are are important, but not the most important. And and that'll that'll so these KPIs will change in different destinations. And we have things wild as uh, the the percentage of, of ambient audio that belongs to bird songs, for example, in some destinations. Um, number of kids playing in public spaces. Um, uh, or people that I know on my street, or people that I uh, can greet on 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 my street. Um, so we go deeper into these wonderful KPIs that'll that'll somehow allow us to to say, okay, we are getting to to where we dream. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm guessing everybody listening, I hope, is just sighing like, oh, that sounds incredible. You know, let's take that time machine to the future. And it's funny because I think when we're in the now, in present time, we're like so focused on a lot of these challenges. And I think we get stuck in the same, this is the challenge, here's the traditional solution, kind of going nowhere. But then when we take that time machine to the future, I think people are willing to say, oh, there's kids playing in the park and I can hear the bird. I can see the stars at nighttime again. Um, so yeah, that's, I think it's refreshing to hear that and to, to think about how we can use those now to measure what we want our destination to look like. And I think that those things, um, bird song, kids playing, stars in the sky, we think of as residents, like that's what we want to see back in our destination, but that's also what visitors want to see. You know, I think that provides an authentic experience for a visitor. Um, so I always say a lot of solutions for, you know, a lot of solutions and investments in tourism are good ones when they equally benefit l local residents. Um, so I think the same can go for KPIs and measurement too. Is there anything else about Cuidadores de Destinos that we didn't cover today that you feel like is really important or interesting for people to know? Mm. Uh, I think um, we are uh, somehow a lab of experimentation. And if any anyone is interesting, interested to know more and to chat with us or maybe an artist or someone uh, has ideas that want to share with us, please do. Uh, we're very open all the time to talk to everyone and to learn from every single different discipline and to to apply to our work. Uh, this is what we do, actually. We are all the time challenging the uh, the normal things to do, and we we do very interesting workshops and and people that have been. Uh, working with us uh, are very, very happy and we have a very strong connection with every community that we have worked uh, with. So yeah, an invitation to get in touch and to discuss and to talk and to chat and to uh, reimagine the future of tourism uh, and reimagining in a wonderful and beautiful way so we can start creating it uh, now. Thanks so much. I, you know, I feel like we covered so much today. The overarching theme here being reimagining the future of tourism management, destination management, um, and a lot of words that came up were creative, you know, thoughtful, beautiful, um, and it's 
is such a unique way to look at the work we do. Um, and I think it's quite inspiring and to think that these solutions do need and require artists and, and poets and philosophers, psychologists. So Melena, watch out, Marco and I are coming. <laughs> We're coming for you. Um, yeah, it's so unique. So thank you so much for, for sharing the work you're doing. I'm curious, when are you going to be writing a book? Yeah, well, we are um, just now writing down all our methodology in all what we do. So hopefully we will launch something soon to share with everyone for free as well. So oh, that is exciting. Um, well, thank you again to Marco Lucero for joining us from Cuidadores de, de Destinos. Um, the destination stewards, destination caretakers, so many different ways to translate that and, and all those translations are true. And thank you, American Shoreline Podcast Network listeners for joining me on another episode of Big Tourism. Mm-hmm.